0: All right, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As we all know, we're going through the entire book of Genesis. Uh, we are in our third month, and we've made it through the first two chapters, and now we come to Genesis chapter 3. Are we got the... All right, hold on one second. Sorry about that. You all can go back to... now you can see it. All right, so Genesis chapter 3, and this morning we'll be in verses 1 through 5, and the title of our lesson is The Temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, The Temptation. So, again, we come this morning to chapter 3, and I was thinking about this this week and, and the import, about the importance of this chapter, and I really don't think you can even overstate how important this chapter is. I believe it's probably... Uh, I won't say it's the most important chapter in in the Bible, but it's definitely one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Because if you don't understand this chapter, and if you don't understand what happens in this chapter, then you literally cannot understand why we are the way we are, why the world is the way that that it is. Uh, All the problems that we have, and the universe all the problems that we have on this planet all the problems that we have in our life originate right here in this chapter and i'm talking about physical problems uh political problems economic problems social problems uh uh emotional problems societal problems they all start right here with the origin of of sin and if you don't understand sin what what happens is you'll go through life continually misdiagnosing your problems. That's what the world does. See, they look at every problem and they misdiagnose it. And they say, oh, if we just educate them, right? The answer is education. No, the answer is not education because the problem is not ignorance. The problem is sin. And so if you don't understand sin, you don't understand what's wrong with people, what's wrong with you and I, then you'll go through life continually just misdiagnosing your problem. Well, it's it's this or it's that or it's this or it's that, and it's not any of those things. At its foundation, it's it's sin. So, that's, so this is an incredibly important chapter that we want to take our time going through. The other thing, and not only is this an important chapter, I think it's the most interesting chapter in the Bible by far. Uh, I, I just. I, Even this week, I, you know, I, I put together about a 45 minute lesson. I had trouble just getting past chapter, verse one. I mean, just, it's just so much to talk about. For, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. We finished up, uh, chapter two, which is day six, you'll remember. And here, we, we come to chapter three and we are, uh, we're, we're, we come to the fall. We come to the temptation of the fall. So we ask the question, well, how much time has gone by? the bible doesn't tell us anything it doesn't say after you know after a thousand years the serpent came to eve it doesn't tell us any of that it just it just opens chapter 3 and you've got the the temptation so we can ask the question well how long were adam and eve in the garden before they got kicked out was it a day or two was it 10 years was it a thousand years was it several thousand years you know now the bible doesn't just come out and tell us explicitly how long they were there, so we, we can't be dogmatic about anything, but it does tell us a few things that we can kind of, uh, we, we can kind of, it, it implies a few things. For example, we don't believe Adam and Eve could have sinned on the sixth day, because at the end of the sixth day, God looked at it all and said it was what? Very good. Not just good, it's beyond good, it's beyond great. So sin wouldn't have been in day six because God said it was very good. It's also highly unlikely that it would have been on day seven because God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it, he set it apart. So it just seems very unlikely to me that it would have been day seven. So it would probably would have been sometime after that first week of creation. So what else uh, do we know? Well, We know that God created man and woman in a perfect state. Physically, they were healthy. And so when he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, there would have been nothing physically wrong with Eve or physically wrong with Adam that would have hindered that. So you would have thought in that perfect state... Conception would have occurred fairly, fairly quickly in a matter of maybe in a matter of days or or, or months or, or maybe a, a few years, but but not thousands of years or, or anything uh, like that. But according to Scripture, Eve does not conceive until she until they're out of the garden, right? So so that implies that it would have probably happened pretty quickly. Um, again, days, months, maybe years, but not centuries or not. Uh, millennia. What else do we know? Well, what we do know, and if you you glance ahead in your Bible to Genesis chapter 5, we know that Adam and Eve have a son named Seth when he's 130 years old. So right there, that's the first number we're given. So whatever happened had to be less than 130 years. They weren't in the garden 10,000 years. They weren't in the garden for centuries. They would have only been in there for somewhere less than 130 years. But it would have been less than that because we know they had children prior to Seth, right? Uh, we know they had, <clears throat> we know they had Cain in Genesis chapter uh, four one. We know they had Abel in Genesis four two. And by the way, before Seth comes along, we know that Cain and Abel have at least grown old enough to tend the crops and the herds, so they're not babies when Seth is born. So some period of years has gone by before Seth has come along. So they've had Cain and Abel. Also, they had to have some girls in there. Now, the Bible doesn't ever come out and say they had this daughter or this daughter or this daughter, but they have to have a daughter who eventually becomes Cain's wife. So there's, there's children that come along before Seth is born at, at 130 years. So what do we know? How long were they in there? We don't know. Somewhere probably between one day and let's say a hundred years. Somewhere in that range. That's all we know. We know it wasn't much, it couldn't have been more, much more than a hundred years. Uh, it, it probably, obviously, probably wasn't less than than a day. Many commentators actually believe that it would only been a few days, because in their mind, Satan would have wanted to come in and and corrupt it as soon as he could. Why would he? Why would he sit back and wait? Well, I'll just give him twenty years, then I'll do it. Right? It makes sense that he would have come in uh, early, but we don't know. So somewhere between a day and let's just say a hundred years. Now let's turn and look at verse 1. So that brings us to chapter 3, and it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, I said this last week. if If you go Google Adam and Eve garden serpent, you'll get all these pictures. And in every single picture, you see a what? You see a snake. It was not a snake, okay? Uh, Not in the sense that we know a snake today. In fact, look at the description. The serpent was more crafty than any other what? Beast of the field. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates three groups of animals. He says, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. So creeping things would be anything that creeps or crawls on the ground, which would include what? snakes. But see, he doesn't put the serpent in that category. He puts them in the category of the beast of the field, which would be things like deer and hog and cats and lions and dinosaurs and hippos and, and, and giraffes, and, and the list goes on and on. So so whatever this serpent was at the time, it would have stood upright. It would have been a beast of the field. Uh, the, the, the most Believe it or not, if you think it through, if you think it's got to have four legs, it's got to walk upright, but yet it has the, the, uh, the reptilian characteristics of a serpent, then it would probably have to have been maybe some type of dinosaur. We don't know, right? But the point is, it wasn't what we know as a snake today. That doesn't occur until after the fall. Look at verse 1 again. So the serpent's more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, let's stop right there. If if I took a poll this morning and I ask you of all the things in the Bible that's hard to believe, I, my guess would be at the very top of most people's list would be a talking serpent. Yes or no? I mean, it would be at the top of my list. In, in June of 2011, Christianity Today... Uh, the magazine featured an, an article called The Search for the Historical Adam. And, and in that article, and, and by the way, you can go online and Google that, Christianity Today, The Search for the Historical Adam, and you can read the article online. And they interview a number of, of very prominent Christian academics. And, and what I mean by that is these are seminary professors. These are the, 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 these very learned men who are teaching at seminaries across uh, across the country. And these men all claim to be Christians. They all claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. But every single one of them believe in evolution, not creation. Every single one of them. Now, again, they all claim to believe in Jesus. Yet every single one of them believe that the story of Adam and Eve and a talking serpent and a global flood and all of that cannot be a literal event. In other words, they believe it's a poem. They believe it's a myth. They believe it's a fable. They believe it's an allegory. But they don't believe that it really happened. I'll give you a quote. This is from John Schneider, who's a professor at Calvin College. He said this, Vices we associate with the consequences of the fall and original sin, such as self-serving behavior... Exist in lower primates and would have been passed on via evolution to humans. Thus, Eden cannot be a literal description of how things really were in the primal human past. By the way, that is a guy who is a his teaching pastors who are his. Te- can you believe that? I mean, that's just it's just unbelievable to me. That why man, go build a road, go dig a ditch, get, go do something, get out of there, right? Why, why are you even there? That makes no that makes no sense okay but this is the kind of quotes you saw in this article now why would they do that why would men like this do that well jesus said this they love the praise of men more than the praise of god you see they want to be seen as respectable they don't want to to them a belief in the creation account in front of their peers is is embarrassing that that i would actually have to stand up and say i believe in a talking servant. you know they don't want to they don't want to do that it's, it, it embarrasses them to do that. So they just say it's a myth or a poem or an allegory or a, a fable. Now you may say to me this morning, okay, Derek, I get that, but isn't the most important thing that they believe in Jesus Christ? Isn't it enough to say, I believe in Jesus Christ? You don't have to necessarily believe in Adam and Eve and, and the flood and a talking serpent. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let me tell you what is at stake if you don't. Number one, if you don't believe in the creation account, the truthfulness of the Bible is at stake. Listen, all through the Bible, for example, turn to Luke. When, when, when Luke gives, the, um, gives all the lineage of Jesus, and he tracks Jesus all the way back, and in Luke thirty eight uh, 3.38 it says, The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, if that's not true, if there's no Adam, Luke is a liar. And if Luke is a liar and he lied about that, what else is he lying about? I I can't trust the Bible, and that's just one example. So so the truth of the Bible is at at stake. The doctrine of original sin, the whole whole idea of sin is at stake. Romans 5.12 says, "...therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world..." and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all sin. You see, Paul says sin, this whole problem that we have, started with a man named Adam. You see, guys, listen, if if there's no Adam, there's no sin. That That's just the way it is. If there's no Adam, if there's no Eve, there is no sin. Now, why is that important? Because if, if there's no sin... If those things are just a myth or a poem or a fable and there's no such thing as sin, then you don't need a Savior. Why do we need a Savior to save us from sin if there's no sin? So if there's no Adam, there's no sin, there's no need for a Savior, and there's no need for Jesus Christ to be the Savior that we need. So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's there's no Adam that's a lie that's not true I mean this this stuff matters I mean it matters big time you can't just say well I believe in Jesus but not Adam the Bible doesn't give you that choice Paul over and over and over says we're in this state because of Adam and we get out of this state because of Jesus you can't have your cake and eat it too it's it's one or the other listen I want to I want to give you a quote this is from atheist.org this is from their website. I want you to listen to it. No Adam and me, Eve means no need for a Savior. It also means the Bible cannot be trusted as a source of unambiguous literal truth. It is completely unreliable because it all begins with a myth and it builds on that as a basis. No fall of man needs no, means no need for atonement and no need for a de- Redeemer. That is exactly right. How is it that an atheist can see that and a Christian professor cannot get it? I mean, that is, I, I, when I first read that, I thought, that is dead on. They're exactly right. No Adam, no Eve, no serpent, no Eden. You don't need a Savior. Jesus is out of the picture. Why? They, they, that's as clear as a bell. So yes, what we're studying here this morning is, is, is incredibly, uh, important. Listen, do I understand how a serpent can talk? No. I got, I got no idea. But I also don't know how a sea can part and let people walk across it. I don't know how an axe head can float. I don't know how a blind eye can be opened and and somebody can see for the first time when they haven't seen for 30-something years. I don't know how how a withered arm can be made whole. I don't know how a man walks on water. And I surely don't know how a man gets up out of a grave after three days and walks out of it. I got no idea how any of that happens, but I believe every single one of them. I don't understand them, but the Bible tells me they're true and I believe them. I walk by faith, not by sight. I, I was talking last night. I trust Jesus Christ so implicitly because He has done so much for me and His glory has won me over that if He says this is true, I don't care if I don't understand it. doesn't matter to me. I believe it. I believe He's that truthful. So can I explain and talk? i got no clue i got no idea. And and by the way, again, I don't understand them all, but I unashamedly stand here before you and say, I even believe in a talking serpent. Now again, there's a lot of questions we can't answer, and I'll give you a couple of them here this morning. But I want to spend a a, a few minutes this morning answering three questions with regard to this. this, Now I've got off my soapbox. It's time to actually get back and, and do some teaching. So I'm gonna answer three questions this morning. First of all, who is this serpent? Uh what did he do? And then how did he do it? So the who, what, and the and the how. First of all, who is the serpent? Now, interestingly enough, this chapter never identifies the serpent as Satan, as Satan. In fact, when you really read this, it is really short on details. I mean it's like God and Moses said, You know what I'm not really concerned about all that let's get to the let's get to the important stuff So there's so many questions that get that I just want to know the answers to, and they there's just there's just no details and, and even in it doesn't even tell us who this really is, but the New Testament now states it pretty clearly that it's Satan, and in fact, it just as clearly emphasizes that Satan's tactics always involve uh, deceit. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Revelation twelve nine, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Again, he calls him the ancient serpent. He calls him the one who deceives, right? Well, this is obviously talking uh, about the, the the serpent who was in the Garden of Eden, so it 's pretty clear that this is Satan second Corinthians eleven three through fourteen says Paul says this, but I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of of light. so you can read several scriptures in the New Testament that refer back to that, so it 's pretty clear that this is Satan. Now, with that said, again, I've got so many questions that I just cannot answer. For example, how is this serpent able to talk? How, how is this even possible? Well, and by the way, the Bible says nothing about it. Now, the most obvious explanation would seem to be that somehow Satan enters this animal and talks through him. That would be the most obvious. The problem with that... Is we have no other example in the Bible that says Satan can do that. I have nothing else that I can look at and say, see, he did it there and he did it there, because we have nothing like, now we know God did it with Balaam's donkey. You can go back and read that. God did it, but we have no, it doesn't say here that Satan did it, and we have no evidence. So I got no clue. I really don't have any idea how that happened. Another question I get is, how is Eve not shocked? Right? I mean, how? Oh, she just like she just seems to accept it. Like, yeah, you know. How is she not shocked? Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't say she's not shocked. Right? I mean, she talks back to him, but it doesn't it just doesn't give us any details. So the fact is you're going to have a lot of questions just as I have a lot of questions that we are just not going to be able to provide uh, answers to because the Bible just does not give us any details. So we know it's Satan, though. So here's the second thing, what did he do? Now, I want to point something out because I think this is really, really important. Before the fall, Adam and Eve do not have a sin nature. We talked about this last week. They have no... Remember, it ends chapter 2 and it says they're both naked and they're not ashamed. But well, why are they not ashamed? Because shame indicates a consciousness of wrongdoing. They have no idea that anything's wrong. They don't know that their, their minds can be used to, to, and twisted to think wrong thoughts. They don't know their bodies can be used in, 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 in unnatural way. They have no clue about any of those things. So they're, they're just perfectly without shame, right? So inside of them, they don't have any, any of this stuff. And so Satan has to come to them from the outside, okay? He comes from the outside. But you and I are different than them. We live in a different time. In fact, listen to James 1, 14 through 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Let me read that again. Each person is tempted when you are lured and enticed by the inside of your own self. You see, the fact is, we each have a sin nature that does Satan's job for him. He very seldom has to come deal with us. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, Satan did this, Satan did Satan don't really have to do a whole lot with you. It's your own nature that does it. Built inside of us, it just does it his job for him. He, he can basically just leave us alone, and our own inward lust will take care of all that. It's just, it, our inward lusts respond naturally to the temptations of, of the world. Only occasionally does Satan have to really do anything. Because we just, we just do it Naturally. Now, here's what I want to point out this morning. and I think this is important because what Satan does with Eve is exactly what our nature does with us. The same way that Satan tempts Eve and the same way that Satan deceives Eve is the exact same way that our sin nature deceives us. And here's the two things that he's going to want to do with Eve. He's going to undermine two things. Number one, he wants to undermine her belief in the goodness of God. Number two, he wants to undermine her belief in the word of God. Okay, every temptation known to man will start right here. It will try to undermine your belief in the goodness of God, and it will try to undermine your belief in the word of God. If if if, if those two things happen, you're gone. You've lost. This is where Satan starts, and it's always where temptation starts. So what we want to do with the time we have remaining is I want to walk through how he does it. Okay, I want to walk through how he does it. Now, his deception is seen initially in the form that he takes, right? Now, before the fall, see today, if I see a snake, I'm going to kill it. There's no doubt. I don't care if it's a grass snake, whatever it is, he's dead. I'm going to kill him. We are, we are repulsed by snakes. I hope, you know, if you're not, well, anyway. Um, but most people are repulsed by snakes, right? But, but we don't see any of that here. Again, this is not the snake we know today. There's not that natural repulsion that, that, that's part of the curse between the woman and the seed of the woman and, and, and human beings. You don't have all that yet. So he comes to her in a form that is not repulsive see, the fact is, he comes in an attractive form. And, and let's, let's face it, we are never tempted by the ugly. We're, we're never tempted by the unattractive. We're, we're never tempted by the obviously evil. See, we are tempted because something looks good. I was reading an article on this the other day, and a man was, he was talking about how men are tempted. And he said, listen, if, if, a, if a meth-addicted prostitute walked up to you, and she's got scabs and sores all over her face, and she's missing teeth, you're probably not going to be very tempted, right? So you're not tempted by the ugly. You're not tempted by the dirty, by the nasty. That's not how temptation works. It comes as attractive. It comes because it, it looks good. And so that's what Satan does. It, this is, it's not repulsive. It's, it's unassuming. And, and she just enters into the conversation. Now, a couple of questions I want to try to answer. Because these are, again, when I study this stuff, I'm constantly just asking questions. There was one of the things I wanted to know. Was Eve by herself or is she with Adam? Is Eve by herself or with is she with Adam? If you've op- you got your Bibles open right there, look ahead very quickly to verses 5 and 6. And, and Adam and Eve have a conversation. I'm sorry, Eve and the serpent have a conversation. And in verse 6 it says this, And she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Okay, So what we do know is that when she took of the fruit, Adam was there. But what we don't know is how long between the conversation and the time she took of the fruit. It doesn't tell us that. See, we don't, this could have all taken place in a, in a, in a ten-minute time period. And Adam could have been... But the idea that Adam is standing there... And not saying anything just beggars belief for me, right? See, I, 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 by the way, most if you go read different commentators, some believe he was there, and some believe he wasn't there. It's, it's the the language is ambiguous, so we just don't know. It, by the way, it doesn't change anything. You know, it doesn't change anything. Adam is still culpable for what he did. Eve is still culpable for what she did. The serpent is still culpable. It doesn't change anything. Now, I don't, I believe she was alone. I believe the conversation is taking place between, uh, between the serpent and Eve. And I believe there's a, there's a time period where she thinks this thing through and she goes off and then she takes of it. And when she takes of it, he's, he's there. But there are other people that disagree with that. So you'll have to come to your, uh, to your own, uh, conclusion. Here's another question. Why does Satan go to Eve and not Adam? Why does He go to Eve and not Adam? This is another question that's really hard to answer. You remember God's order from last week. God creates the man and He creates the woman as a helpmate for the man. God has an order, a divine order that He puts in place prior to the fall. And that is God, then man, then woman. Now what we see Satan do is completely usurp that or revert that he goes to the woman who then goes to the man. See, so he, he just repudiates God's order. He says, I'm not, I'm not dealing with God's order. I'm, why would I do that? I'm going to go the exact opposite. And he goes to Eve. So part of the temptation with Eve is not just to eat the fruit, but also to step out of her role and make decisions without her husband, right? So so again, there's a whole whole lot of stuff. By the way, I don't think... I've seen people say, "Well, Eve was probably more susceptible to deception." Listen, I believe men are just as susceptible to deception as any woman. I don't think that. I don't. I, I've looked for evidence to say is women more, women more susceptible. I don't believe that. I think he he maybe he could have been just as successful with Adam. I don't know. What I can tell you, he ought, what he does want to do is he wants to destroy God's order. He doesn't know, he's not going to abide by God's order. He wants to revert that. But again, this is a question that's very difficult to answer. What we do know is he comes to Eve, he wants her to eat the fruit, right? That's the point. Disobey God's command. And to do that, he has to create a lie that Eve believes. Let me say that one more time, because that's what deception is. If he'd have just walked up and said, Hey, I'm Satan, I was cast out of heaven and uh, I just want to destroy God's, uh, God's creation, and, and you can help me by eating this fruit, right? He's not going to do it that way. He wants to create a lie that looks like the truth so that you believe it. By the way, that's, that's how temptation works. It wants to create a lie that looks like the truth so that you'll believe it. Now, I want you to follow his strategy, which is very interesting. The first thing he does is he challenges the authority of God's Word. That's the first thing he does. He challenges the authority of God's word. Look at verse one. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, this is, by the way, this is the first question in the Bible. Up to this, there have been no questions. There's not been any dilemmas that needed any answers. This is the very first question ever asked in the Bible. And it is a question that That is designed to get Eve to begin walking down a path, and let me tell you, it is a very, very, very clever question. This, this is a Satan is tricky, 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 and it's a simple question that is designed to get her thinking. And let me tell you guys, sin always starts in your mind. It always starts with thinking. You don't just walk into an act. It always starts right here. And he designs this question to get her thinking. It is a very, very clever plan. See, what Satan does is at the very essence and foundation of all sin and temptation. Derek Kidner puts it this way in his commentary. Satan's question smuggles in the assumption that God's Word is subject to our judgment. Let me repeat that. Because I'm telling you, this is at the very base. Every time we sin, every time we go through a thought process that leads us to disobey God, it always starts right here. We, he, his question, did God really say that? Did, did God really say that you should stay in that marriage? Did, did God really say that, that you shouldn't do this or do that or whatever the case? Did He really say that? And all of a sudden you start thinking. But see, the very question smuggles in the assumption that his commands are somehow subject to your evaluation, to your judgment. What do you think? I mean, it's a it, you know, all he's doing is saying, Hey, Eve, man, let's talk about this. Let, let's just think about this, right? Did, did he? How do, how do you feel about this? How does it make you feel? Right? That's where it all starts. How do I feel about this? See, every temptation starts in this exact same spot, it always starts with a thought and you evaluating God's Word, that you have the right, by the way, to even evaluate it. So Satan starts, he asks her this question, did God really say, and then of course he completely misquotes Scripture. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let me tell you what God did say. God said this, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So God had said, you can have, let's just say there's a million trees. I don't know how many there are. Let's just say there's a million. He says you can eat of 999,999 of them. Eat all you want. Have at it. One tree you can't eat from. Just one. 99.9% you can eat. 1.0001% you cannot eat. And Satan comes along and says, did God say you couldn't eat of any of them? See, that's not, that's not what God said at all. Now, I want you to watch what Satan does. God's command is all about being permissive. Eat all of them. Have, have at it, man. Just enjoy yourself. Eat of the fruit all you want, every day, but one tree. And Satan turns the thing completely around and focuses on the restriction, what you can't do. Did God say you can't eat? See, the whole idea is just to get her thinking about, and, and, no, and now notice her first thought is on, wow, God's told me I can't do something. See, God's emphasis is on the freedom to eat all but one. Satan inverts that to put the focus on the restriction. Now it's the not eating that's on her mind. She's not thinking about, how man, God is good. God is so wonderful. God is so kind to give us all this stuff. No, now her thinking is about, I wonder why he won't let me eat that one. What, 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 what's, what's up with this? See, so he it gets you thinking about the restriction. And what he's doing here, whether you see it or not, is he's impugning God's character. See, the implication in his question is that there's something wrong with God if He doesn't want you to eat that tree. There's something in His character that wants to hold you down. There's something in His character that wants to take away your freedom. He don't want you to express yourself fully. He doesn't want you to be who you are. He don't want you to have access to it. What's, what's wrong with him? What, 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 why is he being this way? Again, the fact that God gives them 99.9%, that, that is set, set aside as negligible. Satan says, let's don't talk about that. Let's talk about that one. Let's talk about the restriction." So what he's doing is he's putting a picture in her mind that casts suspicion on the goodness of God. There's, there's something wrong with God. If he he puts a restriction on you, why why is he doing that? What's wrong with him? See, that's always the lie that he wants us to believe. God wants to limit you. God wants to restrict you. God wants to hold you down. What's what's wrong with him? Satan is basically saying, listen to me, and I'll show you a better way. I was reading a book... uh, a book called The Religious Affections. I'm trying to read this book. I've tried it five times. I cannot get through it. It It's written by a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. It was written in 1746. Now, Jonathan Edwards lived through two great revivals in this country. One of the very few men to do that. He lived through the first great awakening, and he lived through the second great awakening. Both of those revivals went bad. By the way, do we know that if you stick around long enough, every revival eventually goes bad? You ever notice that? Every revival eventually goes bad. Well, he saw two of them go bad. And that really bothered him. And so he started thinking about this process. What makes revivals go bad? And he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. By the way, in the 1700s, the, the, word, the word affection means emotions. The religious emotions. And he, and he, and he started thinking about what... He, anyways, it's a really neat book. It's just hard to read. But as I started reading it, a couple of years ago, I ran across a quote in that book, and I circled that quote, and I thought, well, I'm going to need this one day. And I went back the other day and found it, and I want you to read this quote. Okay, He said this, I have seen the devil prevail the same way against two great revivings of religion in this country. Again, that was the first great awakening and the second great awakening. Satan goes on with mankind just as he began with them. He prevailed against our first parents and He cast them out of paradise and suddenly brought all their happiness and glory to an end. Now I want you to watch how He did it. Okay, how did, he, how, did he make, how did He make it go bad in the garden? And how did He make it go bad with revivals? He said this, By appearing to be a friend to their happy state and pretending to advance it to a higher degree. See, what He was saying is you get in a revival and everything's going good, God's moving, and Satan comes in and says, I can make it better. I can make it a little bit better. If you'll just do this, this will get better. Are you with me? I can make it better. And next thing you know, it starts completely falling apart. See, that's what he did with Eve. See, he comes in, I can make it better. That one restriction, 99.9% of things you can do, but what about that one? If you could do that, it'll be even better. Now you'll be fully free. You'll be fully happy. You'll have full joy. You'll be able to express yourself. We can make it better, Eve. Just that one thing he's holding you back from. Don't, don't. Let's make it better. Listen, that's temptation, folks. He comes into your life and says, Look at that sorry husband you got. Oh, he can make it better than that. You can be better. You can have a better marriage. What what is what everybody with me? It's the same lie he told in the garden, and he tells it over and over and over and over again. Listen, I said it last week. If it ain't broke, Satan, don't fix it. The same lie that worked with her works with every single one of us every single time, just about. He says, I can make it better. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, Hey, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now notice she's in big trouble already. Because she started walking. She started talking. She started thinking. She started evaluating. And I want you to notice that her reply magnifies the strictness of God, but it softens his threat of of judgment. Genesis two sixteen, this is what Jesus I mean what God said. Listen to what he said. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Those two words, any and freely they focus on the goodness of God, the permissiveness of God, don't they? I mean, any tree, eat freely. But she omits those two words. She leaves them out. The two words that expressly talk about how great God is, how good He is, how kind He is, she leaves those two words out. And then she adds, oh, we can't even touch it. See, see how strict God's not starting to get? I mean, her, she's done. She's done. She's completely forgot about His goodness, and she's focusing on how restrictive He is. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. Again, now the restriction is beginning to magnify in her mind. Well, I can't even do this. I can't even do that. Genesis 2.17, God has said this, and "...By the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die." The day you eat it, right then and there, you're going to die. That's what he says. And that means two things. That means physical death will begin, but more than that, it means spiritual death happens that second. You are separated from God. But notice, Eve says, lest we die. She doesn't say, we'll surely die. See, it's a possibility. You know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Who knows? See, she magnifies his strictness. And she plays down his judgment. Listen, that's happening all over the world today. She's falling into his trap by changing the the, the 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 character of God to be more to her liking. She's admitting, yeah, God, you know, He's a little too strict for me. But at the same time, she makes His judgments to be out less than they really are. Listen, she is in big, big trouble. Her fall began really before. She ate the fruit because her thinking about God was an error. See, sin always begins, as I said, in our thinking. Number three, Satan contradicts the certainty of God's judgment. Now now that he's got her thinking and going down this road, he makes a bold move. Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. But Genesis two seventeen, the word of God had said, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. See now that he's got her where he wants her, he just comes out with a blatant lie. You see he his, his he moves from planning doubt to outright calling God a liar. If Satan had walked up to Eve as I said earlier and, and said and had said all that, you know right off the start, she'd have probably said no, she'd have recognized what he was doing, but that's not the way he works. He's very tricky, very, very, very subtle the way he he works. It all begins with a simple question. Then he smuggles in the assumption that God's word is subject to our judgment. Then he exaggerates God's strictness. Now he's got Eve completely wide open. So he flat just come out and flatly calls God a liar. And by the way, notice how he calls God a liar in an area where you can't disprove him. This is what he's doing all day. There's no judgment. You're not going to die. Because that's always out there somewhere, you can't disprove that because it's not it's 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 in the future. so he's telling people that today over and over again, there's no judgment. you don't have to worry about that, and we just people just go along because you can't disprove that. It's always out in the future. That is a very, very tricky thing for him to do now at this point, I got to go go quickly. Eve is entertaining all these thoughts. And maybe she's wondering, I wonder why, why God would be so restrictive. Why wouldn't He want me to eat that fruit? And of course, Satan has an answer for that. And this is the fourth thing that he always does. He promises pleasure, but he forgets to mention the pain. He says this to Eve, For God knows, this is why God is doing all this, by the way, Eve. This is why He's being restrictive, because God knows that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. There are two things he does there. He elevates man, and he pushes God down, right? He impugns God. Again, he does it every single day. You deserve this. You deserve to think like this. You deserve to act like this. You deserve. You're free. Express yourselves. Be who you are. God's a killjoy. God wants to hold you down. And by the way, that's a very intoxicating thought. That's a very intoxicating thought. But like any good lie that deceives, it's only a half-truth. Any good lie that deceives is only a half-truth. God, we said this a, a, a few weeks ago, God knows good and evil. God knows good and evil like a doctor knows cancer from the outside. You can go to a cancer surgeon and they know that, that doctor knows cancer. He knows what it looks like. He knows how to deal with it. He knows how to treat it. He knows That's how God knows good and evil. He doesn't experience it, but he knows it from the outside. What Satan fails to tell Eve is that she's going, she's going to know good and evil, not like a doctor knows cancer, but like a patient knows it. She's going to experience it from the inside. See, he never tells us that. It's always a half-truth. See, he doesn't bother to tell Eve the consequences that's going to come to her, that's going to come to her family, that's going to come to human race. He he never does, does he? He always holds it up there and says, boy, I can make it better if you'll just do this. And he never tells us what's on the other side of that uh, temptation. Next week, we'll pick up with verse 6. And if you want to read ahead, you can go ahead and do that. And then we'll see exactly what happened. Of course, we all know. Um, but we'll see what happened and what happened to us uh, because of that. So next week, we'll take a look at uh, the fall. Let's pray.